everyone, welcome to the Doctors Running Podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, talk about the art and the science of the things that we're putting on our feet. Today, we are incredibly excited to have Megan Searfox with us, who has done a lot of things that we're going to talk about. One of the many things is owning a running store, which is kind of what we're going to really talk about today, is going, hey, you know... Running stores have been around for years and years and years. Oftentimes, they're the hub of where a lot of people get started. And it's a great place not only to get gear and stuff like that, obviously shoes, but it's also a great place to find a community and to certainly learn new things. There's a lot to be learned from many of the individuals, many of them just like Megan, who has incredible amounts of experiences in more ways than I even know. As the more I've, I've learned about her and I'm excited to learn more, she's done a lot of really cool stuff. So that's what this episode is really about, is to really figure out, hey, especially when you're a new runner, what are the resources that are available for you, especially coming into a running store? And Megan is going to share lots of stuff on that, which actually kind of segues really quickly into our subjective question, which is, what got you into running as a new runner? What got you in? What things were made you interested? What questions would you wish you had known then? And that's what we're going to try to answer a little bit of today. So, Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for coming on, Megan. Um, I'm super excited to have Megan on, not just because she's an awesome person, but she's also a good friend of mine. We met through cycling, gosh, Megan, over 10 years ago, right? Um, so Megan wears many hats, like Matt said. Um, she is the owner of actually two running stores, Ridgefield Running Company and Darien Running Company here in Fairfield County, Connecticut. Um, both are specialty run, or, uh, run specialty retailers. In 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022, Ridgefield Running Company was named one of the top 50 best running stores in America. In 2019, they were awarded top, top 10 and in 2020, a top four. And as a longtime customer of her stores, I can attest it is definitely one of the best, if not the best store in, in America. And we'll talk about all of the reasons why later. Um, in addition to being this incredible business owner who has helped so many runners in our area, she is also an incredible athlete. Um, you've competed at Kona multiple times, right, Megan? Um, twice. Twice, yep. The Boston Marathon, nine Ironman distance events, over 20 marathons, and countless other races at various distances. She really walks the walk when it comes to helping runners. And, of course, she also has incredible uh, multi-sport knowledge as well. Um, in addition to her stores and her athletic background, she's also started a race that occurs on Mother's Day called Run Like a Mother, which... Like, that's got to be the best name for a running race ever. Um, it started here in Ridgefield, and then it expanded to, like, a nationwide series. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And the other incredible thing that Megan has done is she wrote a book called See Mom Run, Every Mother's Guide to Getting Fit and Running Her First 10K. And that book was released in December of 2014. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about the book and... I mean, that book just has so much great information for not only new runners, but for women who are getting back into it after time off because they had kids or for other reasons. So like I said, we are super excited to have Megan on just because she is such a wealth of knowledge. Um, so Megan, 
to kind of segue into getting to know you a little better, we'll have you answer our subjective question, which is, how did you get started in running? That's that's awesome. Thank you so much. First of all, thank you for having me. And Andrea has been a big part of my life for many years. And I remember the first time I started bike racing and Andrea Myers was this amazing bike cyclist. And I went out and I was so excited to warm up with you. And I was like, I was redlining it to whatever. And finally, she looked at me and was like, this is a warm up. You can back it off a little bit. So I, I too, have learned a ton from you um, in, the, in the cycling world. Um, I started to run uh, probably when I was 30, right after my first child. I was a discus thrower, shot putter, played volleyball and soccer in high school. And I never thought I could run. I thought I was too big. I didn't think that I would fit into the shorts properly. And it just wasn't my scene until I had my first child. And then I realized, and I was working full time, that the only way I was going to be able to do something to work out was not to actually drive to a gym, but to head out the front door. And I could do that in a five-minute window. And I could do it in a 20-minute window, and I could do it in an hour. And so that's the gift of running is you can do it in whatever time allows you. And really just what I realized was getting out the front door was really great for me. It was fabulous for my husband because he would be like, can you just go out and clear your brain a little bit? And, um, And that's really when I started running. And then one night... Right after I started running, my younger sister, I was living in Arizona at the time, and she was in, I was living in San Diego, and she was living in Northern California, and she called me and said, let's do a race. I said, great, what race? The Big Sur Marathon. And if anybody knows about the Big Sur Marathon, it is probably one of the most difficult marathons, road marathons in the United States. And I said, great, and I had no idea what I was signing up for. But I quickly got Jim Fix's book. I was um, an athletic trainer in college, so I'm used to anatomy and physiology and all that sort of thing, and I just dove right in and read that whole book and followed everything that I could and got to that first marathon in 1992 when the carb loading phase was going on and everybody said that you needed to eat a lot of carbs before you race, so I was in Carmel or Monterey, California, home of sourdough, and I think I ate a loaf of bread the day before the race, and I woke up with a food baby that was really about eight pounds worth of sourdough and did that race. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure that was not your most pleasant experience marathoning. It, it wasn't, but... I crossed the finish line and realized what, how important and special running was to me. And it kind of started that life journey of what, let's do another one. I think right in the middle of a marathon or a half marathon or any race, you think, this is it. I'm done. I'm done. And then you get across the finish line and you feel that feeling of what it's like for your own self. And it doesn't matter if you're, 50th or 3,000th or first or whatever, we all have that same rush and that same feeling of, man, this is what I did for me and look what I did and I beat my own time and or I, or I exceeded my expectations and, and that's really what running is about. 
Absolutely. Isn't it amazing how you can just be miserable like an entire race and think, oh gosh, I, you know, I want to quit, but I hate this, but you make it to the finish line and like immediately, I'm going to do this again. I know I can do better. Our so, brains are pretty messed up. <laughs> sometimes you'll cross the finish line and say, never, 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 <laughs> never. And then like two hours later, Yep. <laughs> what am I looking for? I'm on run sign up. I'm like, just like, help me figure out what my next race is. I, I forget the name of the, the of the, the psychological process that we go through. So it's apparently so, the exact same, same situation as when you go through childbirth, where you like go through it and you're like, why would I do this? Mm-hmm. I'll never do this again. And immediately afterwards, you're like, oh, I want to do this again. You're like, what what like logical thing? But that's what our brains do is they go, no, no, no forget about that. It's okay. That was great. Let's do that again. <laughs> It's crazy. And it's really, it's really yeah. been part of the, the whole fabric of my life as first a, a mom that I worked when my first daughter was born and learned how to run then. And then I was a stay at home mom. And in San Diego, there was a group of moms that got together and they had one, you, you'd babysit one time a week and then you could run with the moms the other two times and we all switched that's a and great idea and that's where we just really it was called the racy ladies we would do we would figure this out and and it was our social time i'm not a big let's go for lunch kind of person i'd rather go out on a trail or out on the road and just um just move at the same time that's awesome have you done more i think you have done more races with your sister haven't you I have done more races for my, with my sister, and I'm running the New York City Marathon this year with her. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's really, what is that, 30 years later, we're going to be running together again. That's incredible. How's uh, New York training going? New York training's going as as good as it can. Yes. I think this will be probably my 25th or 6th marathon. I um I'm getting back to a little bit of speed work mm-hmm. and trying to be careful with it. Yep. I'm always, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I lecture a lot about prehab and rehab and I talk to you a lot about it and then it's always and, and this is something that I tell every new runner, when you fall in love with running you wanna run for that forty five minutes you have available and it's actually much better to run for thirty five. And do five minutes of prehab and five minutes post cool down, and you'll get that same benefit, and it will allow you to run further the next time. Yes, that is one of the best lessons new and actually experienced runners can learn, isn't it? We Yeah, we want to maximize our time running or cycling or whatever, but if we just take a little bit of our available time to like build our bodies up or help with the recovery, it can make that time we spend running so much more effective and definitely lessen our chance for injury. And it will feel so much better. Absolutely. Yeah. Now you've done New York before, right? Yes, I did New York the first year after 9-11, which today we should all recognize it is 9-11. And I did it when I was living in Chicago. So it was the first time I'd ever been to New York City. And it was really, really special that year. It's probably one of the most special races in itself. It's a pain in the butt. Everything about New York City Marathon is difficult as far as the logistics. You're running at probably noon. You have to get up at 530 in the morning and get on a a bus and then wait in Staten Island for all those hours. And then you finally get a run and it's kind of crowded. And I always tell people that's 
it's always that way with New York City. It doesn't matter if you're running a marathon or you're just going in for the day. It's always kind <laughs> right. of a pain. Yep. But that's what makes it so special. And being able to run into Central Park is a really cool thing to do. Yeah, and, you know, I think races like that teach runners how to manage all of the things that don't have to do with running about a race, right? Like, it's not just New York that is a logistical challenge. Any big races, although New York probably is the one of the biggest logistical challenges. But, like, preparing for that, knowing, like, I'm going to be on a bus and then I'm going to be sitting around for hours. Like, what are you going to do about food and water and staying loose? So do you have any advice for any of our listeners who are planning on doing New York next year or maybe in the future? Yes, practice. Practice running later in the morning. Most of us are either early morning or late evening runners. And it's really hard when you're used to running before work or before the kids get up to then train your body to start running at noon when you may have had a little more to eat. And so kind of trying to get out and replicating that a little bit and also running just even at two o'clock in the afternoon, because some runners are going to be out there till four or five o'clock at this point and just kind of learning how, how your body responds to that. Also getting, um, making sure that you have a lot of clothes that you want to get rid of. New York City NYRR does a great job donating clothing. So bring everything that's disposable and something to sit on for a long period of time. Oh, that's that's a very good tip. Yeah. Um, so is the marathon your favorite race distance or is there another favorite? So I would say that the that anything long is mm-hmm. good for me. I'm not a super fast short distance runner. I always feel like when I run a 5K, I get to the finish line and I want to keep going. Uh-huh. Most of my, most of the events that I have done, I have, I excel. That's why I'm a good Ironman athlete. I like that longer day and I'm really good at an endurance pace and I can hold it for a really long time. So speed work doesn't come naturally to me. It's something that probably at my age, I am 57. I don't need to do as much and just kind of getting that quality endurance miles in is really what, what I love to do. So the marathon's perfect. I'm really into trail running too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also is really great because it ebbs and flows and you're not really worrying about pace and it's really healthy for your body because you're much more mindful running instead of just getting out on the road and plodding. Yeah. Changing up your rhythm and getting on the trails and just focusing on your environment and can't look at your watch because you might trip over the next rock. It's a really nice mental and physical break. Plus trail races, their aid stations kick ass. Yes. Because they, you go up to their aid station and in aid station in a marathon, you're going to get goo, you're going to get Gatorade, you're going to get something in a packet. You go to a trail race and their aid stations are like a buffet of <laughs> bacon wrapped potatoes and waffles and it's amazing it's so much fun that's awesome didn't you just get back from UTMB Mont Blanc what was that that like that was amazing and I and I feel like as an endurance athlete and somebody that really has enjoyed the Ironman distance and 11 to you know 12 hour race UTMB is a whole nother level I mean these athletes are covering 100 miles and 30,000 feet of elevation in 20 to 38, 40 hours, it's, 
it's crazy. And that's that's the UTMB. And then there's other races that are 150 miles or 300, you know, 200, 220, I think, is like a four-day-long race. And it's just, it was really amazing to see these athletes. And what was really incredible was watching the starts of those races and the emotions of these people that are going out into the Alps uh-huh. for pretty much a day or longer at a time. And they're running sometimes for 30, 40 hours with a little bit of a cat nap once in a bit. So that's just a whole nother level of um, this kind of running. Absolutely. Yep. Mindful. Yes. Now, it's an interesting question that I ask a lot of my Ironman friends. Would you prefer to run a marathon on its own or do you prefer the marathon (laughs) at the end of an Ironman? So that's, that's one of my favorite things to answer. And I always say that when you get, that when you're an Ironman, when you get off your bike after swimming for uh, 2.2 miles, riding your bike for 112, all you have to do is run 26 miles. That's it. Yeah. So it's a totally different mind frame than towing the line and knowing you have 26 miles ahead of you. And that's the run that you're doing. Surprisingly, my Ironman marathon times and my marathon times are not too far apart. And that really speaks to the fact that I'm an endurance athlete. Like I'm a long distance person. That's so interesting. Um, So, you know, you started running later in life, but you've still been running for a really long time, which is amazing. So how have you adjusted your training? Like since you started back with your sister to now, um, obviously it's changed because you're not doing Ironmans anymore, but what have you learned over the years? Like, what can you share with our listeners that might be helpful? So first of all, never say never on not doing Ironman anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I never, I stopped at number nine and that's, it doesn't seem like a good number to stop. So I want to put that number 10 in there somewhere. My life just has to open up and the stores have been busy, but I think, um, I think that my my training has really changed in that I have learned to put it, make far less just sort of junk miles and far more quality sessions, especially when I'm when I'm racing. Mm-hmm. When I as I get older, your body takes a little bit longer to recover, and I definitely notice that. I also definitely notice that you can't fudge your strength sessions. And I think that a lot of women seem to get to be over the age of 40 to to 45. Maybe they're starting to go through menopause, that sort of thing. And they think, oh, my gosh, my metabolism has gone to to crap. This is is what's happening. And, And I think that they just, a lot of researchers just decided that that wasn't true and that what happens is as we get older, we tend to get more sedentary. And our body and our metabolism is directed right off of our muscle mass. So as long as we're able to stay strong, and you see, you know, a lot of women that are my age and older that are doing incredible, incredible things. And women that are even my age that are breaking barriers in endurance racing. And they all go through the same things that, that other women go through. So it's, it's kind of trying to organize yourself to doing that five to 10 minutes of core every day as part of your running routine that will keep you, keep you moving. I also think that raising and lowering your heart rate a lot and a little bit every day, kind of getting it up and out there is really helpful 
to metabolism and that sort of thing. So I think that there are times when I'm not training that I might get a little bit pudgier than than normal. But but to me, it's okay because I know as long as I can maintain that base of about an hour run, I can pretty much build up my training into anything. I, I, I really want to add on to what you said that not only has the research suggested that what you said is to- is completely true, there's another layer which you actually touched on that as we get older, male or female, the thing that we lose most significantly is our strength, right? And so we tend to lose muscle mass. We lose more strength than we lose muscle mass, and we lose more power than we lose strength. And so as we get older, that strength training, again, trying to, even a little bit, doesn't have to be some crazy gym workout, but it just has to be a little bit of something that you can maintain because that is what seems to maintain not only the metabolism, but also the performance stuff. As you mentioned, that really tends to separate some of these elite performers is who, who maintains that stuff and who does not so you just want to encourage your to- I, I, that's what I'm writing about right now I'm like you literally hit everything on the head right there I'm like that's awesome that's really good I just think it's super important as we as we get older one weight bearing is such a huge factor especially for women um, anybody that has osteoporosis in their family but just getting out the door and moving forward is not only huge for your body but it like it's going to keep your mind bright and and the fact that all of these things that are going on in your head are aging if you can get those endorphins going and all the serotonin going and all those things your outlook on life just opens up unbelievably and it it sounds like it's a little bit of hullabaloo but as soon as you stop moving you're just inviting disease in <laughs> you're inviting aging in you're inviting all of those things that um that you don't want in. And one of the greatest stories that I think I have is one time I talked to a guy who worked for Outside Magazine, and he was working with all of these people that were in their 50s and 60s. And every Monday, people would come in and say, oh, man, I just climbed such and such, or I just ran this race, or I did whatever. And so that's what he got used to. And then he went home to the Midwest over holiday break, and he saw his parents and his aunts and uncles, and all these people that were in their 50s and 60s on their recliner, diabetic, little bellies, and he thought, wow, what what a difference. And and, and we see it in the running store all the time. Somebody will say, oh, you know, I'm 50 now, so I can't do this. And I I smile, and I don't say, well, look, I'm 57, so. But But it's just that nudge of saying, you know what, just head out the door, because you can. And what you do may be, look different than what Matthew or Andrea or I do, but getting out there and taking those steps, key. Oh, yeah. It's never too late. No, because actually what we've seen from the evidence on that, they've done research on individuals that are in their late 90s that still adapt and, and have benefits from exercise. They get stronger. Their VO2 max improves, all this kind of So there is no such thing as too late. We had a gentleman come into the running store, uh, into Ridgefield Running Company uh, last week, 104. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. Wow. And he's still walking. <laughs> what? What? Is still walking? I got to ask, what shoes did he choose? Did he come in for shoes? He did. And, and we're still working on that because when you're 104, your feet tend to swell. You have a very high volume foot. And so we're working to get yeah. him into something right now. He's wearing slippers and that's why we want to get him shoes. Oh, poor guy. You know, that's one of the things that I love about Megan's stores is that some running stores you go into and if you don't look like an elite runner, 
you kind of feel like this isn't the store for you. But Megan has always made her stores for anyone who needs athletic footwear. And she carries casual footwear too. But I could always trust, and I still do, sending a patient who just needs walking shoes to her store. And they're going to feel comfortable in there. The employees are going to treat them the same as if an elite marathoner walked in. And her employees also know how to fit people. They know how to deal with people with various injuries or various conditions. So I I probably haven't told Megan enough how much I appreciate that her store is really a store for everybody and that her employees make it a welcoming place for everybody. And I think more run specialty stores could follow that lead and think about how to make their stores not just for like people like their employees, but for anybody who needs athletic footwear. Well, what's really cool is that you guys did a podcast. I think it's number 99 or 97 um, about run specialty and retail and talked about what a run specialty fit specialist should be doing. And I think that that's the most important thing is that most running stores have running in the name and that's intimidating right off the bat. And so if somebody walks in and they say, but, you know, they're, they're thinking that we're all going to be pro runners. We're all going to be talking about our VO2 and our mile splits and everything like that. And um, so we have a sign in our store that says not a runner because most people that come in or a lot of people that will come in and say, I'm not a runner, but, and we're finding now, I think COVID there's a blessing that happened with the pandemic. And that is more people are getting out and moving than ever before and realizing the benefit of it. It's been really, really great. And we also spend a lot of time with podiatrists and physical therapists and that sort of thing to try and say, hey, you guys are pros at what you do. Send your, send your patient to us because we're pros at figuring and send them with a script so we know what's wrong and we will help you find that right shoe. Um, I always laugh when some, some medical professionals will send us in with a list of shoes re- recommended and their shoes from six years ago. <laughs> and and that that's that's better than what I've seen a lot where I frequently get people like well some of the stores have reached out to me and go, Hey, we're getting people that are recommending like the original Kayano. Mm-hmm. Like, do you have anything to say about that? I'm like, Yeah, not like it's the twenty nine now. It's been thirty years since the first one of those came out. So Yeah. Please for any of the medical professionals listening, please remember that Megan and those in her situation really are the experts at footwear. You know, Andrea and I are very lucky because we live in that world still, but we are we are very fortunate to be hybrid. Most people don't have the opportunity to stay up to date with how quick this stuff changes. Megan, the people that work at running stores, those are going to be the experts and you have to rely on them. It's part of being a team, right? It's not about you, it's about the patient. So be part of the team. And we love that. We love it when a PT or a doctor, we get a referral and they, they actually write on the script and we have scripts we give to doctors, yeah. but we can actually see what it is. And then we know, like it narrows the shoe wall quite a bit. Once somebody says that they have plantar fasciitis or that they've got shin splints or something, we're able to kind of go, okay, now, now we know. And for a doctor sometimes to say, this is the shoe that you need to be in, First of all, they, a lot of them aren't up on the technology, but if a running store ever says to you, this is the shoe that you need to be in, this one, then I would turn around and walk out because usually there's a array and we always say this is the category 
that we need that you need to be in, but we're not in your foot brain. So the shoe that is going to fit the best and feel the best is going to be the best shoe for you within that category that the fit specialist has put you in. I like that term foot brain. So like talking about the comfort like filter, yeah. letting your foot brain decide. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And people will come in and say, oh, you know, Sally said that I need a Hoka or whatever shoe it may be. And we say, great, but, but what does Sally run? Oh, she's, she's a marathon runner. I'm just, I'm just hiking in the woods. Like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out there is a Hoka that we can do that, but that may not be the best shoe for you. Right. So going off of a recommendation that way is tough. So what would be the best thing or the best information if a doctor or a PT is going to send a script to a running store? What do you want to know from them? So we want to know the, the patient's diagnosis. And we want to know if they have a recommendation. We'd like to see what it is because if sometimes it is in date, and there are, I don't mean to be bashing anybody by any stretch, but but sometimes they do know what shoe that person should be in. And then at least that gives us a launch pad mm-hmm. to say, okay, this is the category of shoe that the doctor feels like um, that you need to be in. And we really respect what they're writing down and we'll work off of that. We also do a 3D scan. We use a, a 3D scanner called Volumental and that in conjunction with a pressure mat, which actually shows us how the foot's moving through space and how it's moving uh, moving on the ground, and that helps us kind of evaluate. Most people that come into our stores are in the wrong size shoe, hands down. And yes. so that's, that's the easy fix because we can cure a lot of problems when you have a shoe that allows your foot, your toes to do this. Absolutely. Yeah, and um, when people are in the wrong size, Megan, are they usually wearing something too big or too small? Oh, 100% too small. Right, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We in in you know, we always tell people I have a shoe here that the shoe really needs to fit here and it needs to fit here. And that we actually want a little bit of room here because it allows your foot to work naturally. And we are we are we are much more stable when we have our toes being able to do what they need to do than if they're crammed into a shoe like this. So very, some very important things for the new runner is oftentimes that when you walk into a walking and running store, it can be very overwhelming right? to see the term running, to see a huge wall of shoes and going, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. How do I get into this? There are some kind of simple things you can go by. And I think that those, what you just said, is some really important things. Go, hey, you're going to have a, a, a shoe, a foot brain, right? You don't know what it is yet. You're going to have to learn what that is. But a couple really key principles that sound like, right there is going make sure you're getting the right size length and what i've told and what i've heard before is you are not your shoe size okay <laughs> that it will vary depending on the companies and they go all over the place i have we're very lucky we get running shoes but i have lost many toenails going this is totally the wrong size and i can't send this back and i still got to get 30 plus miles out of shoe to do a review <laughs> well all right so for those of you not in that situation finding something where you know you've got the right length and your toes can move a little bit is going to be really key because comfort's going to be really important. Because if you have something that's not comfortable, you're not going to want to run. We, we oftentimes turn the boxes so that the sizes are facing us and not them. That's a good idea. <laughs> because lots of times people will say, what are you talking about? I've never been a size nine. I can't be a size nine. And they almost won't 
try to enjoy the shoe because they can't get over right. the size. And Asics runs different than Hoka, then runs different than New Balance. And then even within a brand, shoe can run completely different. And it can run different yeah. from version to version. You may have a, a version 11 yeah. that runs completely different than a version 12. So even if you've been fit by us, we always say, hey, you know what, let's, let's not just grab the shoe. Let's actually... Let's actually put it on and make sure. Because some people will come in and just say, hey, I want, I want the same shoe that I had last time. Let's put it on, make sure it fits right. the same. We always start. you got to double check. Yep. And we always start if somebody's been in a shoe forever or in the, their last shoe, we always grab the same shoe that they were in from the, from the prior shoe so that they can feel like what that shoe feels like new. Because lots of people come in and their shoes are way beyond where they should be. And just simply putting in any shoe we're going to put them on is going to feel good because their shoe's dead. Um, so we like right. to get we like to go same same, and then we'll bring in something new. I I don't know if people realize how quick things wear out. Like running shoes. I mean, I think Andrea's heard this before that there was some research I did in my undergrad that found that real, most shoes wear out after about a hundred miles, and after that, it's about how well you can compensate. It's like, oh gosh. So when people say four to five hundred miles, that's not necessarily true. You gotta keep that stuff up to date. That one was surprising to me that I learned from working close to Under Armour was that sports bras should never see a birthday. And I learned that early and I was like, that's really, really important. So it's not just running shoes, a lot of gear that again is very important for support in various ways. You do need to keep it up to date for multiple reasons. Sports bras are just like running shoes. When running shoes start to to crap out or get bad then your body's going to have to take the, the brunt of it. Same thing with bras. Bras lose their elasticity. Guess what happens when those bras go bad? You, you, you're, it's going to be more on your own breast tissue than it is on the, on the bra. So we always ask if, um, you know, you're replacing a shoe, you probably should get a running bra. And kind of our feeling is one's in the drawer, one's on your body, and one's in the wash. So you really should have three. Um, running bra. I like that. That's good. Yeah. And then with shoes, the same, same thing goes. If you're doing the same running five miles, three times a week, and all of a sudden you're starting to get a hip issue, check your running shoe. If you are running five miles, three times a week, and you added a kickboxing class, and now your hip feels kind of funny, it's not your running shoe. And so that's, you know, that's, we deal with that a lot with, um, Young athletes, when they come in and they're starting high school cross country for the first time, and they come in and they say, I just bought this shoe from you last week, and I've got shin splints now. Well, it's probably not the shoe. It's probably <laughs> too much, too fast, too soon. And those are the three things that cause itises, right? Those are the things that cause most things, honestly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, as PTs, Matt and I go through the same questions with people over and over, and there's almost always an explanation for, okay, what, what are you doing that's different? What has your, how has your equipment changed that's affecting your body? What's your schedule like that's different? And often it's something people aren't even thinking about, like something stupid. Like I've had probably four people in the last few years who had like back pain or sciatica and it turned out that what was causing it was they were driving a different car than they were used mm -hmm. to. Like they either had like a rental car because their car was in the shop or they got a new car. And it's like, okay, 
let's go out to your car and look at your position and see if we can fix it. But sadly, there are some cars that just don't work for certain people. I had a, when I raced for a team called Target Training, our uh, team car was this very nice Volvo station wagon. Every time I drove it, I had sciatica in my right leg. No matter what I did to the seat, I had sciatica driving that car, no other car. So when you test drive cars, not that this is uh, doctors of driving, but um, go <laughs> test drive a car for a long time and make sure. That's our next, yeah. our next, next venture one, yeah. is doctors yeah. of driving. Much more expensive piece <laughs> right. of gear. Yeah, um, we'll have Nothing Nathan. So many demos. Yeah, Nathan will have to work yeah, on that exactly. for us. So, <laughs> Megan, I wanted to have you talk a little bit about your experience coming back from injury because we're runners. I mean, almost all of us have gotten injured at some point. But what has been most helpful for you in building back up when you've been injured? Um, what have you learned? as a result of that process? And what do you think would be most helpful for our listeners? So I think one of the things, and I think it affects a lot of runners, is that I started running in a time when I needed to be efficient and needed to be efficient with my time and try and get things done. And I fell in love with it. And it's taken me through some really incredibly low points of my life. I I had three kids. I have three children. Um, that were diagnosed with Crohn's disease very early on, about uh, 12 years ago. And it was a very dark time for me. And that was about the time that Ironman and running was my really only mental outlet. And I really, really loved it. And what that did was it gave me the space to be myself and it gave me the space to help figure out and solve our family issues and give me a little bit of motivation. But what it did do was it kind of ran me into the ground because I loved running so much and I loved cycling so much and I didn't take the time to prehab and rehab. And I ended up with some pretty serious injuries. I've had both of my hamstrings surgically reattached. And that comes from years of being in narrow bars for 112 miles and then standing up and racing in a marathon. So that's not going to happen to our beginner runners. It's going to happen to somebody that's doing big volumes of things. And when the first time it happened and um, was in 2013, and if anybody knows about hamstring reattachment, you have to be 100% non-weight bearing for about six weeks. I was in a brace from my uh, hip to my ankle and that's about the same time that I got a, a book offer to write CMOM Run. So I, it kind of fell into my lap that I was able to, to rehab and, well, for, for the first part, just sit on my couch and write this book. But then I had my contractor build me a walking desk, and I wrote most of the book walking about two miles an hour, which is basically just standing up and moving your feet forward. And that that took a lot of time and I had to completely shut down the rest of my life to do this and then get back in the gym and learn to strengthen my hamstrings so that that wouldn't happen again. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, except for that you have to have patience, patience, patience and trust the process and trust the PTs that you're working with to know that they they know what they're talking about and they've seen this before, even though I like even on my second one, I'm like, yeah, I've been through this. <laughs> I still needed that right. PT to say, whoa, slow it back. And I remember clearly going to the doctor. I I had run 
the Boston Marathon the year of the bombing. And then after that, my hamstring detached um, a couple months later. And that's about when I got the book offer and, and all that. And I really, it was really important for me to run the Boston Marathon the following year just to be there and bring back Boston and understand and celebrate what a great race that is. And so I went back and I, I ran that race. And I remember my doctor a couple months later, I went to go see him. He said, you did, you did what? Eight months after a hamstring reattachment, you ran a marathon. Well, I didn't race it, but, <laughs> but I was really careful. And yeah. I think that that's the biggest thing is you really need to tr- trust your professionals. Yeah. Just like you need to trust a professional in a running store. You can't just do these things online. Like you can't just Google hamstring reattachment. Right. Somebody actually needs to touch you yeah. and see how strong your hamstring is and see how you're improving. You can't do that online. Right. And see the quality of your movement and help you mm-hmm. deal. No rehab is, you know, straight up. There are always little valleys you go back a little bit, then you have some time of progress, then you feel like you're plateauing. And your PT or, you know, whoever's helping you through your rehab, it's really like your guide through that process. It's, you know, it's kind of like trying to hike Mount Everest without a guide, right? Like you Mm -hmm. could Google how to hike Mount Everest, but it's not going to help you deal with whatever conditions you experience on the day or if you have a problem with your gear or your body or whatever. So I, as a PT, good advice, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> the, the connection between medical professionals and what you're experiencing in a running store, I think is really important because Andrea mentioned earlier that when somebody comes in, part of what's called the subjective, which is the figuring out what's going on is going, is understanding the full story, right? What's going on. You can't just go, Oh, it hurts there. Here's what you do. But that's not, it's not that simple. You need to go, what are you coming in for? What are the, the things that have like kind of influenced this? Like, what are your goals? Who are you as a person? Those same things are exactly why it's really beneficial to go to a running store because you're going to have somebody that's going to be able to help you with that in relation to shoes to go, where are you coming from? What's your experience? What have you run in previously? What do you want to do? What are your goals? All of those things factor into what might be kind of the best category of shoes. And Megan, I love that you said there is no such best shoe because like, we get that all the time. It's like, oh, what's the best shoe out there? There isn't one. It's what some something's going to work for you now and then it's not going to work later. And that's part of, you know, how things change. That's goes it. But yeah, it's very similar to go. It's really important to work with someone, especially as a new runner, because as you as you get more experience, right, that you can kind of learn some of the things, but always good to have somebody to bounce stuff back and go, hey, let me just check in and you know, what's on the market right now, how, you know, how, here's kind of what I've experienced. I think that relationship is really, really important. I think it's amazing because a lot of people don't think they're worth going into a running store because they think, oh, I'm a new runner. Why would I, I'm not going to go into that running store. I'm just going to go buy that pair of shoes at, you know, some off sale, off brand, whatever, or some other sort of big box retailer. And actually, the new runner is the person that really needs to come into the running store. And one of the things that we offer is community. We offer that, hey, you want you want to get back to running? We're going to help you figure out a way to do that. We have back to run. We call it party in the back. Um, run, run groups. We have our regular shop runs that are super welcoming. But we want those new people to come in because we want them to continue running for a long time. And if they're buying a shoe that they're just pulling off a shelf 
in a big box store and thinking, oh, this this looks like it's going to fit, they're not going to be as successful as if they come in and talk to one of us and say, this is this is where I'm starting. I used to be a track athlete 50 years ago, and I go and I go out and I can only run a mile. Hey, you know what? We're here to tell you: don't start running a mile. Start walking for a minute, or running for a minute, walking for four. Do that eight times. You'll be out for 40 minutes. You're going to actually do a 5K in that time, but you're going to be loading your tendons and ligaments much more safely, and you're going to be in a shoe that is preparing you to do that for success. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about your store, Megan, is it's so much more than a running store. You really have built this community. I mean, I think, and you know, I see all of these things on uh, your social media, but like Mondays, you have like beginner runs, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're doing like walk, jog intervals, which I think is awesome because I think a lot of people who are super new to running have no idea that there are other people that they could like <laughs> learn how to like get into running with. And for people who are coming back from injury, like let's say you're a marathon runner who had a serious injury and now you're doing walk jog, well, you know, hopefully your friends are nice enough to like come walk jog with you. But if not, like they can come join your Monday rookie runs, right? Or like you do supported long runs, right? Where Mm -hmm. you set up like water tables and everything so people can practice. You have track workouts, Um, you've had like buses that go to like the big races around here. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's like really providing like a full service in terms of helping people just fall in love with running and no matter how they want to do it. Right. Like it doesn't even have to be racing. They can just like go do a cool running trip that the shop is sponsoring. I think that's part of it, and I think that trying to welcome people in, and almost any run specialty store does this, where you just have, you have demo runs, you have meetups, you have even like a, a brewing crew, which we, we have our last one this week, where we run and we go to a, a microbrewery, which is really fun. Even if you don't drink, you can go and be around people and, and understand the actual socialness of running. And running can be that way where there are days that you want to be with people and talk and laugh and and do a great workout and there are other days that it is so great to be on your own. And people often ask me, do you run with music or listen to podcasts or whatever? And I think, you know, I have so many voices going on in my brain when I run (laughs) that if I had Andrea's voice going on there, I would be all over the place. So it's it's really the, the cool thing about running is it really meets you where you want to be. And whether it's it's something that you want to do as a social thing or it's something that you want to do on your own, it, it's whatever you want, and it's the in whatever distance you want. And that that marathon runner that is now coming back, just like I did from injury, it's incredibly humbling to do a walk run when you know that you can you run 26 miles day in and day out and whatever. It's incredibly humbling, but. The thing about runners is we don't care. We just want you to be out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's about just being together and supporting each other, which I think that your shop just does such a great job with. Thank you. Um, I am really interested to hear just how, and of course, you don't have to tell us all of your store secrets, but how do you train your employees? Because they really are amazing. And I really would love to know how 
like you get everybody on the same page in terms of how they help people, like from a new runner to an experienced runner. Because, I mean, I've been coming to your shop since it opened, and I've never had a bad experience with anyone. And I don't walk in and I'm like, hey, I'm Megan's friend. You know, I just come in and say, hey, I'm looking at this shoe and they treat me like anybody else. So how do you do it? So I think the key to the staff that comes to work for me is that that working in run specialty is very much like being a bartender. You're either celebrating somebody with their success or you're helping them with their woes. So you either are coming in because you're training for something or you're coming in because you have plantar fasciitis, right? Yeah. So, so part of being in run specialty is having a really good ear and being very empathetic to, to what the, the person that's coming in or the customer has to say. We learn so much by just listening. And that's the first key to run specialty is just kind of being on that fit stool. It's a little bit of psychology and kind of listening to what the person person has to say. When we go through our training process at Ridgefield Running Company, people spend a lot of time as a fit assist first. So they are listening to what we're saying and how we're saying it and what the customer is saying to try and help them figure it out, um, what, what kind of shoe they're going to need to pull. And then that fit assist is coming down and learning our, our basement or the back room, which our shoes are set up in a very simple way of light cushion neutral to max cushion um, neutral and then into the stability category and and sort of learning which shoes by putting them on, you learn from the customer more than anything, like, oh, this shoe doesn't feel good. And and then going going in a different direction from there. We do a lot of anatomy. We do we use a lot of Quizlet which is just the the uh, consumer-generated quizzes about different injuries. And we have people come in. We have Monday morning trainings all all the time. We have our insole specialists come in. We have doctors come in and talk to our employees. We have our brands come in and, and talk to people. And we also do a lot of continuing ed um, education, our Fit, most of our fit specialists are RRCA uh, certified, meaning that they have some background in coaching. Although we don't coach athletes, it gives them a lot of insight as to what a consumer is talking about. And we we do a lot of offsite. We go and we toured. We toured this year. I took we closed the store for a day and we went to New Balance and went into their tech and into their labs and saw what they did with shoes and what's on the forefront forefront of shoe technology. So we're always trying to learn uh, what's going on. I, I sent the pod, your podcast about run retail just recently to them. So Aww. they get to hear what you guys have to say, which is great. That's awesome. This, this is encouraging us. So we also need to finish the written version too. <laughs> we have a very yeah, long guide written, Megan. <laughs> oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> we have to condense it. Most it's my fault that it's so long. Andrea's sections are very to the point. Mine just went. Bleh. That's off topic, but got to work on that. A tangent about a tangent. Yeah, yeah. That's what's so great about running. It's so easy to go off on those tangents. Oh my right? gosh! Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm interested, Megan. How do you chill? I've noticed, of course, over the years, the brands that you carry have changed. But how do you decide what you're going to stock? 
Um, like what, what all goes into that decision-making process? There, there's a lot that goes into it. First of all, there is an issue, and I feel very strongly about this, that I wouldn't put on my own foot. I'm not going to carry a shoe that I don't feel can stand stand up and be worth 200 miles, 300 miles, 400 miles. If the shoe, yeah. So there, there are brands that have that that have been hot that I think, okay, well, I'm just going to wait it out and see until they produce a shoe that I think is going to really stand up to the quality of the shoes in our store. We we look at shoes every six months. Every brand has their sell-in every six months, and they're showing you their array of shoes from light cushion to max cushion to to neutral to stability, and it's trying to curate a mix of shoes that you feel will address your consumer, and that's ever-changing. What I carried before when eight years ago is vastly different to now, and I think you guys touch on it a lot about the fact that just because you pronate doesn't mean you need to be in a stability shoe. If you pronate and you're injured, then maybe we should look at a stability shoe. But we, the amount of stability shoes that we carry have gone much further down than than before. And then the fact that a lot of brands have changed their, their platforms or the way that they are handling stability has really changed what we carry in the store. So, and and then you introduce something like a carbon-plated shoe. And those, at first, I was a little skeptical about them, and now they've really dialed in the shoe to make it so that you still are getting a fair amount of cushioning. And, and now those shoes are being built in a way that they actually will handle somebody that's wider in the heel and that can fit, in, fit into the shoe. The first carbon shoes... Boy, I, I ran the New York City Marathon one time, and I thought I could just put a sticker on everybody's back that says, "Don't buy your don't buy your speed." <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't buy your speed. Let's work on. Let's get you in a shoe that's comfortable that will take you the 26 miles instead of falling off the platform. So we're seeing that that technology is 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 meeting the runner where they are, and offering that sort of wider platform with a carbon plated shoe. So we've had to sort of change things. Also, because of the pandemic, and we touched on this earlier, the fact that now we're getting a lot of people that are just fitness walking, the the actual anatomy of the foot that we're fitting has changed dramatically. And not that we're not seeing the runners because we still have those really great qualifying athletes, Boston qualifying athletes or world championship qualifying athletes, but we are also seeing that person that's a 4E and a really high-volume foot. And so our buying for this year has changed quite a bit. And part of that is that our scan process with the 3D scanner has opened up the category of shoes that we're delivering quite a bit because we're seeing a lot more width shoes come in or somebody that says they're wide, but they're actually a, a, a very high volume foot. So we're starting to move our shoes in that direction or being a little bit more accepting of that sort of shoe. So it just depends. Yeah. And, and that scanner, you're making me think it because you scan everybody who comes in mm-hmm. pretty much, right? Mm-hmm. So that's we great everybody. data to help you decide on what you're buying, you know, the next purchasing round because you see, okay, these are the feet that have come in. We need to make sure we have shoes to match it. It's an incredible amount of data. And the other thing that people don't really consider, and it's long in the running industry, been 
people, consumers think, oh, it's just an add-on sale, is a footbed or an insole. And part of it is the shoe. Andrea, you may be a nine. Matthew may be a nine. I'm a nine. You may have a high rigid arch. Matthew may have a flat, floppy foot. You were still putting you in the same shoe, but it's not addressing the actual structure of your foot. So we do a lot of customization with insoles, and we feel very strongly that that can really help with a lot of issues. So it may not be the shoe. It may be the shoe married with a, a, a super feed insole that's a certain, of a certain rigidity or um, platform um, that will help the shoe even work for you even more. Right. And there are plenty of people who's like where their arch is in relation to the length of their foot doesn't meet up with the footbed, the stock footbed. And so those people can maybe benefit from something a little more customized and, yeah, and I think it's important too when it, when somebody's being fit for a shoe that they're that the fitter is not just taking into consideration the heel to the toe that they actually take that heel to ball measurement because somebody may measure a foot length of nine, but there should be in a ten and a half because their arch is much longer or their heel to their ball measurement is much longer than and and that's where the arch doesn't really fit the shoe or the foot. And do you have data on, I'm, of course, I'm sure you know just from experience, but I, to my knowledge, shoe companies don't state this, like which shoes are better for people who have a long heel to ball of foot measurement versus which shoes are better for people with a shorter measurement? Yeah. And uh, well, sometimes it's just really the size of the shoe yeah. or finding an insole that has an arch that will, will meet them. Where they are, sometimes putting in a footbed that has a slightly longer arch and trimming the, the top part of the insole down will give that person that has that longer heel to ball measurement a better better fit. Mm-hmm. And as someone who has a very long heel to ball measurement, there are some shoes that just don't work for me, not because of the arch support. I have a low arch, but because of where the toe spring hits. Mm-hmm. So shoes with like a really early toe spring are miserable for me because they're basically hitting on my arch rather than at like my first MTP where the shoe is kind of designed to hit. So And so have you gone, have you tried those shoes in a longer, in a bigger size? No, I've just decided I don't like those shoes. and <laughs> Which is fine because you have instinctively your foot brain has said, hey, this right. shoe doesn't feel good on me. Yeah. And when 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 that happens, then you move on. Yeah. Like you just get rid of get rid of that shoe. Right. It would be interesting to try like ASICs, so many of their shoes have a very early toe spring. It would be interesting for me to try like a half size up and see if that feels any different to me. And ASICs run small to begin with. Yeah. So so you need to kind of bump up. What do you have there? Is that the Metaspeed? I've got Edge, yeah. I'd be very curious, Andrea, how, you haven't I tried haven't, the Edge yet. No. Edge Plus. I need to try it. really want to know, but see, you, you, the, how they're designed, the spring in there is interesting. So I, I would yeah. be very curious for you to try it. Next on the list. <laughs> you get that fun job. Oh, it's super fun. I've got some good shoes in my lineup right now. I just got the Magic Speed 2, which... Mm-hmm. I had, I bought personally the men's Magic Speed one last year, and I actually loved it. So, like, may, you know, a little longer, right? But that, the top of the heel counter 
just rubbed my Achilles until it bled. So that's I, because it was a D width. Well, no, it's because the top of it is actually a firm material, mm. and they've changed that in the two. So, but I liked the one so much that I would just put like a blister bandage on and run in them anyway. <laughs> so I the two I haven't run in yet, but just walking around in it. The top of the heel counter is soft. I don't think I'm going to have that problem. Um, so it'll be interesting what the differences are between the two versions. And it's funny because you kind of sound like a lot of customers <laughs> in that, you know, they'll say, this shoe is, I love this shoe so much, but I get like a blister here every single time I wear it. But I still, I've been in every iteration of that shoe. And you're like, okay, it's time to break up with the shoe. Yes. <laughs> and it's time, we're going to find you a shoe that actually, actually fits you. Because we have customers that will come in and say, you know what, I love the Asics Gel Kyano 27. I love it. And I hated the 28. And so I went online and I bought every single 27 that I could because I love that <laughs> shoe so much. And it's like, well, first of all, shoes do have a little bit of a shelf life. Like that shoe in two years is going to feel like a rock. Two, you have to break up with a shoe at some point. You can't, you, you got to move on. You got to move on. Right. I've now accepted that there are no more New Balance beacons for me, so I need oh. to find a replacement. But yeah, I, I as I bought two pairs on sale, um, I thought, well, these are probably at the end of the line. They're going to be pretty old soon, and they're not going to feel the same, and I might not like them as much. So I'm still so, looking for the beacon replacement. Quick funny story about that when I took the staff up to New Balance and we have about a 90, well, 85% female, all women staff. Every woman that went on that bus up to New Balance wore a beacon. <laughs> and it was like a silent protest of why did you get rid of this shoe? And I ran the New York City Marathon in the beacon and that's, that's what right. I was saying. Like I wanted to tap and say, you guys spent 250 on your shoe. I spent $119. Yep. And I'm passing you. Yes. Um, it was it was a great shoe, and apparently it just didn't have the love that Ridgefield Running Company had and why we probably put you in it, because we all love that shoe. Yep. Great shoe. I thank Shirley every time I see her for putting me in the beacon. Yep. But <laughs> at this point, it's time for you to break up with that shoe. I agree. I have one pair left, Megan, and it's... <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. For, for the listeners, I want to encourage you. I, I also was at one point one of those people long before this. And you have to remember the reason that we say this is, first of all, your mechanics change, right? So that don't people, the, how you move throughout your lifetime can vary. But also really tell people, and, and Megan, you mentioned this, the foams do break down. Even if they're just sitting there, there's going to be degradation over time. And you also, when you buy a lot of these stuff, these, these, this footwear, especially from online places, something like that, you have no idea what environment those have been sitting in. So if they've been sitting in like a hot warehouse where the temperature has been 130 degrees, that's going to ruin the foam, right? That's some of the newer foams are tend to be a little bit more temperature resistant. But when you have extremes in temperature throughout those years, that up and down, that that can mess with some of the, the molecular structures of the foams and they will start to break down. So you're not going to get the same shoe. You're going to buy it and be like, I have 12 pairs of what I thought I loved. And now this is totally different. So 
it, instead of doing that because you really don't know what you're going to get and you don't know how quick this stuff is going to break down, it may be good to go. You know what? There's a lot of things out there. Let me go to a running store and see if I can explore what other options might be. And you might find something you like better. You got to break up with the shoe. Yep. Yeah. You might be surprised by what you like. Yeah. Yeah. So Megan, um, this is something we talked about in our earlier runner retail episode, but what, as a running store owner, how can customers come in and help themselves get the best experience from buying shoes? Like what information is most helpful for them to be prepared to talk about? Do you want them to bring in like the shoes that they love running in most? What are your tips for how to be the best customer? We we love it when people will tell us and we, we always ask, what are you doing? How are you doing it? How are your hips, knees, ankles, toes, everything feel good? We want as much information as possible because it helps us figure out and dial down that shoe wall. If you've been into our stores, we don't put a huge emphasis into the actual shoe wall. There are shoes up there kind of for decoration, but we don't refer to it a lot because we want to learn from you what what you're doing and how you're doing it. And then, of course, the scan helps us quite a bit as well. But as much information as you can give us about where you are and where you want to go, I think is really, really important because that will help us figure out what what's going on with you. We do scan 100% of our customers, and I say 100% except young athletes who feet, whose feet are really changing young kids and people that come in with that Mac Daddy orthotic that somebody has already put them in. In that case, we're going to put them in a neutral shoe and let that orthotic do what it needs to do, and that's the reason why they were fit into that orthotic. But we really just want to learn about our customer so that we can find and help guide them into the right the right category of shoes. And again, we, we go for category, and then we let the foot brain tell us what's going on. And, you know, we, we get those people that will say, I just listened to Doctors of Running, and they said this shoe is so great for this kind of category of runner. And we're like, great, let's start with that shoe, because it probably, it might be, but let's also learn because Doctors of Running hasn't actually met you. Let's let's go with that, but let's also see what we can get you within that shoe. And and I think that you guys do an incredible job breaking down the shoes, but until somebody actually has it on their foot, they need to come try it on. And so and they need to tell us what they're doing because sometimes and we all do it, we go to Dr. Google and we determine what's wrong with us. And then we go in and we tell the doctor and the doctor's like, yeah, you, that's what you thought was wrong with you because you, you know, it's like those, those personality tests where you want to know that you're the most gregarious, fun loving person. And it turns out that you're super narrow minded and, (laughs) you know, not, and you're an introvert, but you, you yearn to be something just talking to a fit specialist. They'll be able to help you figure that out. Like that may be where you want to be, but let's start where you are. And let's find where you are and get you to that point. I love that. That's awesome. Um, just curious. So what are your favorite shoes right now? What are you running in? Oh, gosh. So my favorite shoes right now, I love the Meta Sky Speed. That's a really fun, fun shoe. And he's going to pull that up. Yep. <laughs> I also... The original or the plus? I don't... The original so or the I plus? So I don't have the plus right now. 
I also love this shoe, the New Balance Fuel Cell Trainer. Isn't it awesome? Yep, yeah, yeah, this has been an awesome. So, so those are two carbon-plated shoes. I like to feel fast right now. Um, I also, I'm always, like you guys, testing shoes. So I always will try to put on a different shoe just so that I can learn it. And our fit specialists do that, too. And we have the opportunity where we get seated with shoes, so we are able to experience what shoes and how they feel. But most of my fit specialists, just through fitting hundreds of people, will set, will look at a foot and go, I know exactly what shoe. But they'll wait to, to put that shoe on that person to to see if that's that's really correct. I also really love running in my Hoka Tecton X, mm-hmm. which is another carbon plate with um, split this way. Fabulous shoe. Hoka Clifton I love. And I'm running in a Topo right now, too. Which one? I'm running in the Spectre. Oh, isn't it awesome? I was going to wonder if it was Spectre. Yeah. It's a nice shoe. Yeah. So I'm all over the place, and I've been a lifelong Nimbus wearer. That always has kind of been my shoe, and I go I go up and down with millimeters of drop all the time. I tend to stay a little bit on the higher side just because of my backside injuries. Um, but I, I love shoes, so I'll put I, I put almost anything on. <laughs> fun to to understand and and run with them. Have you decided what you're going to race New York in? Uh, probably, probably the fuel. Probably a New Balance. Um, I'm really enjoying the Fuel Cell Trainer and the Elite and those those shoes. But I don't know. Yeah, we'll you've see. got time. Yeah, I've got lots of time. <laughs> well, no, seven weeks. A little bit of time. A little bit of time. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing not only your experiences but your wisdom as well. As this has come from. Many, many years of not only being a runner, but being a store owner, a race organizer, and all that kind of stuff. So you have a lot of stuff on your belt. We really appreciate you taking the time on a Sunday, which is when we run these things, to share some of that stuff with us. So if um, if if anybody's interested in finding out more about your store and your information, where can they find you? We'll put that in the comments. We just want to hear it. Sure. At RidgefieldRunning.com or DarianRunning.com. Same, same website. And I just have to really kind of close with the fact that we none of us really have a choice anymore but to move forward. And if right. if you don't make the decision to do that in whatever capacity, you, you will you won't be moving forward. And so just kind of taking that first step outside. And I've dealt with a lot of women who who have this kind of crazy picture of what a runner should look like who started with Run Like a Mother and and going through that training program, who are now running is a huge part of their life. It doesn't mean that once you start running, you have to run an ultra, you have to run a marathon. It doesn't even mean you have to run a 5K. But just getting out for a little bit every day, and I always use 35 minutes as kind of that, just getting over that 30-minute hump, you will reap benefits that are far beyond your physical fitness. And I think that that's probably the most important thing that you can think about is that it's good for you. It's good for your family. It's good for your brain. It's it, it, There's just not a lot of negatives about running. So it sounds like what the key is, is oftentimes people get nervous about joining either community or activity because they're going, oh, I don't, I don't look like what I would perceive somebody who does that to be. And so the, I think the encouraging words to go, that doesn't really exist. There's no ideal. And if you find that you're looking at a community, you're looking at something, you go, I don't see a lot of people like me. 
then that's actually an even more important reason to get involved. 100%. Because if you get involved, you are going to be setting the the pathway for many others who may have had the same thought as you to go, oh, actually, there are lots of people just like me. And so now it becomes that much more to go, hey, if I see it something, it this is it's well worth pursuing. So I want to encourage everybody. And that runners, athletes, walkers, people that are active come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, if you watch a marathon, you'll see people that from all over the world, the all different types of body sizes, different everything. So that's this is really important that everybody feel welcome and don't don't feel like you don't belong because you do. And if you don't, that's that's probably the reason you need to get in there so that others that may have the same feeling. Be the groundbreaker. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a great way to finish this. So, Megan, thank you thank very you. much. Please check out where she, her, her wonderful running store. Obviously, Andrea talks about it all the time. <laughs> it's been referenced multiple times um, on, on a large number of our podcasts. So, honestly, it's pretty good. So you should probably check it out. We have many, many er- different areas that this is available on. So, obviously, we have through YouTube, through Spotify, many different areas. But you can also find us on different platforms. So we have our website, Doctors of Running, where we've got all, new content coming out all the time. But you can find us on a variety of different social media sites that are one and run by our incredible social media manager, Bach, including Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, he's still got the TikTok going strong. I think we're only almost at 100 followers on TikTok, which uh, TikTok, which is <laughs> that's impressive because I forgot that we had that going. But we have lots of really cool stuff coming and we really appreciate you listening and hope this is a great resource because that's why we do this is because we want people to learn. And it doesn't matter who you are. There's something we hope to be able to help you with. So please stay tuned. And we really appreciate you listening. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you.